That's all it is. But there's a lot of airspace to cover for Milrow. Still looking. Firing. Near corner. It's caught! Touchdown, Alabama! Isaiah Bond! On a fourth and a mile! Touchdown tied. We always keep thinking we've seen it all, and we never have, have we? Bond. Isaiah Bond. Unbelievable. Welcome, one and all. Welcome, one and all. Episode 74 of the We Know Ball podcast. What an intro, huh? What a play. What a weekend. What a sequence of events that unfolded in front of our very eyes over the last four full days of the weekend. Four-day weekend, Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Saturday rivalry week 
in college football and NFL Sunday. So much to talk about. Like, it's, it's honestly a little bit concerning how crazy it is to talk about. There's so many different things that went on in the world of sports. On the docket today, I'm not kidding. I think we have one, two, three, four, five different sports to talk about in one variety or another. Five different sports. We will get to the NFL. We will get to college football. We'll get to it. We'll get to all of it. I promise we'll get to all of it. And then some. Drop our hot takes. This may be a little bit more of a lengthy episode, if I'm being honest with you, because there's a lot to unpack across all the sports. And before we get into the NFL, before we get into the NBA, before we get into college football, I I promise this is going to be a first in the history of the We Know Ball podcast. We're going across the pond to the Premier League. What? The Premier League. Alejandro Garnacho scored a goal for Manchester United over the weekend. Maybe the most ridiculous goal I have witnessed with my two eyes. Maybe the most ridiculous goal I have witnessed with my two eyes. Let's listen in on the call from NBC Sports and the Premier League. Everton versus Manchester United. Two, just north of two minutes into the match. This is spread by Lindelof. Rashford face to face with Mikalenko. Dallow joining in from fullback. Dallow for Garnacho! Oh, wow! Oh, wow! That is one of the great goals in front of a stunned Gladys Street. Special beyond special. He plucked that one out. Well, the move was good enough, but the finish, every one of these Everton fans not going to happen should be applauding that because they won't see a goal at Goodison Park like that for a long, long time. What Watch Dallow's run. Just takes Mikalenko inside. That gives Rashford the chance, a bit of space. But watch this far post. Forget about everything else. Dallow sits it up, and that is world-class. Absolutely world-class. VAR in, the in my ear checking something. Don't you dare disallow this. There's nothing to be disallowed. It's an absolute world-class goal. Yeah, so Alejandro Granacho, he, it's hard to describe if you haven't seen it. Basically, just go watch it. Uh, but Manu swings it out wide, and um, Cross comes in a little bit deep, to be honest. Right? Typically, crosses in soccer coming from the outside in towards the net. You want that to be a problem for the goalkeeper. You want it to be in front. A lot of times you want the goalie to have to make a decision whether to come out and punch it or to stay in the net and play the shot. And uh, you want the ball to be 
in the vicinity of the net so that any header deflection uh, is something that you can try to put on goal. In the case of this cross, it came, it came basically over the, the front part of the goal and actually started curling off the right foot from the right side across the box and back towards the other end uh, on the backside uh, of the box. And Alejandro Garnacho, running away from the goal, decided his best opportunity and his best sh- chance to score was with a bicycle kick. Now, if you've never seen a bicycle kick, or you've ever tried a bicycle kick, I'll put it that way. If you've never tried to accurately attempt a bicycle kick, you have to understand how impossible it is. To even try it with your buddies in an indoor soccer league on a Tuesday night. Impossible. It's impossible to make contact. It's impossible to make contact solidly. And on top of that, there's absolutely no way with the tracking, the delivery of your leg over the top of your head for you to strike that ball accurately and put it not just on net, but in the bins, top shelf. To put that thing top shelf. Out of the reach of the goalkeeper, historically, in my opinion, one of the best goals you will see in the 2020s. Historically, one of the best you'll see. And I had to start the show with that because it was incredible incredible goal by Alejandro Garnacho. One of those goals where it sets you up for superstardom in the years to follow. Superstardom. Young guy, Premier League, early part of his Premier League career, Manchester United, on the road, early on in the game. Great. I mean... I'm looking at a YouTube video that's in the suggested parts of this highlight I just showed you from Sky Sports News, which is the British, you know, main news channel that they run with. And the caption of that video is obviously most people try to clickbait to some degree. The caption or or the title of that video is was Alejandro Garnacho's goal against Everton, the greatest overhead kick in Premier League history. I don't know how long, I don't know if you know how long the Premier League has been around, but I'm pretty sure it's been around for a hundred plus years. So for a goal like that to be considered potentially the greatest overhead kick in the history of a league tells you everything you need to know right then and right there. Tip your cap, hats off to Alejandro Garnacho as an outside FIFA playing non-committal soccer fan like myself who doesn't watch it regularly but also understands the brilliance and greatness that is the sport of soccer. That goal is as good as it gets. It's as good as it gets and it's the type of goal that you're going to be seeing on the best goals of the 2020s highlight reel. Literally. Literally. I'd be hard-pressed to find a better goal 
this season in, in the Premier League. It's, it was an insane, insane goal. And that's soccer. And like I said before we started talking about it, I think that was that was the first time we had talked about soccer pretty significantly on this show. And that's it. Moving on from soccer to the association, and that association is the National Basketball Variety. And if I'm being honest with you, before we even get into what we're going to talk about, which is just one specific instance, one situation that unfolded over the weekend. Wednesday night, I believe. The NBA as a whole, at least for me, is hard to even spend a lot of time talking about because over the course of the last decade and a half, I think it's turned a lot of people off because you... You had that stretch run where it was Golden State and Cleveland for the NBA Finals matchup in like six consecutive years. It was something stupid. LeBron's in the finals every other year or every year. And then when people don't get LeBron and people don't get the Golden State Warriors, all it is is just a complaining bitch fest from the diehard NBA fans because they go, oh, it's so boring. The Nuggets is so boring. The Suns and Bucks is so boring. So from the outside, as a non-diehard NBA fan, I go, well, I guess that must have been a pretty boring NBA Finals. I don't really want to watch. But then I see Golden State and LeBron James in the Finals every year, and it turns me off to it as a casual fan because I'm like, wait, didn't they just play in the Finals? And haven't they both played in the Finals every year, no matter what seed they are going into the postseason? Oh, so the NBA regular season means nothing. means nothing. Get healthy, have everybody ready to go, dialed in with five games under their belt going into the playoffs. If you've got a great roster, just talent-wise, you're going to go deep into the postseason. You've got that part of it. Then you've got the fact that the NBA is a giant complain fest most of the time, and some of the best players in the entire league spend half the time complaining about the situation that they find themselves in because they're not winning basketball games. It's an egotistical league. It's hard to follow in a lot of ways because turn your back on it for three months in the post in the off season. Like stop paying attention to the NBA. Let's say you go on a three week vacation or something crazy. You study abroad. You don't have, a, I don't know what the case would be. You could go one NBA off season, come back and there could be like 18 different dudes that are quote unquote superstars that are just on different teams every single year. I mean, I feel like in the last Five years, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, and uh, Dame Lillard have all been on different teams every single season. Like, in the last even three years, I feel like Russell Westbrook, James Harden, and Ben Simmons have all been a, on a different team every single season. And the NBA would probably consider most of those guys, at least at one point, superstars. So it's hard to follow the NBA. All right. It's it's been a participation league trophy league for a little bit. The NBA people like me watching the NBA as an extremely casual fan from the outside who appreciates the sport of basketball has a I have a really hard time following the NBA consistently and regularly. Because the regular season, 
like it means nothing. It means so much nothing that they had to create an in-season tournament to incentivize their players to try really, really hard during the regular season. And that didn't work. I promise you, ask any of the players, they have absolutely no clue and no care in the world about this in-season tournament. It means absolutely nothing to them. The financial incentive is nowhere near the number it needs to be for them to actually be balling out for it. So the regular season means nothing because we've seen it time and time again. Just get your big three or your big two healthy and ready to go. Come playoff time. You're going to make a deep run is what it is. Then you've got the play in tournament. So 65 or 70% of the league makes the postseason. That's not fun to watch. What's the incentive to play in the regular season? There is none. You can finish under 500 and you can make a run, quote unquote, or get into the postseason to some degree. And in all reality, they just created the play-in tournament because LeBron had a hard time recruiting superstars to play on his team. So the Lakers or the team that LeBron was playing on wouldn't really do well in the regular season, but they still needed LeBron to get to, into the postseason. So they created a tournament outside of the postseason to play in to get into the postseason, a.k.a. get LeBron in the playoffs. That's all it is. So it's hard to follow as a fan from the outside. Then you've got this Greg Popovich situation, which to me epitomizes how hard it is to be a serious follower of this league consistently. Popovich, well, let's just play the clip. Let's play the clip, and then we'll talk about it. And this happened again four days ago. Kawhi Leonard is at the free throw line attempting free throws as a member of the Los Angeles Clippers in San Antonio in the second quarter with three minutes left to go. Foul. That is two on Kelvin. Leonard. Coming an average of 21, had that Monday, 80% from the line on the season. And Kawhi with eight points tonight, three of five from the floor. It is only three. Excuse me for a second. Pops on Can the we mic. Stop all the boo and let these guys play. It's not all class. It's not who we are. Knock off the boo. Pop telling the fans to lay off Kawhi Leonard, but that's not San Antonio. Well, I don't believe I've ever seen that. I've seen a number of college coaches motion to their crowds, particularly the student crowds. If they're so Greg Popovich just grabbed the microphone during the game, as you could clearly hear, and basically told the fans in San Antonio, to stop booing. Stop booing Kawhi Leonard. Stop booing the players. The opposing team. When I first saw that clip, a lot of different things went through my head. When I first saw Greg Popovich grab the PA microphone during the game, a million thoughts started racing through my head. Is this a joke? 
like an actual like is he messing around um I thought, is this real? Like, is this a real thing? Did this actually happened? Is this old footage? Did this happen a long time ago? Somewhere preseason. And when all those things were counted out, and I realized that this is an actual video that really happened in real life, I was left speechless. I had nothing... Initially left, I had nothing to say. As soon as I saw the video and it was determined and I, I was able to guarantee that that was a real video of an NBA head coach grabbing the PA microphone in the arena to tell his home fans to stop booing an opposing player or an opposing team. After an initial sequence of being just completely left speechless, I actually could not believe what I had just witnessed. Because I watched it all the way through, saw, saw Popovich grab the mic, watched the video, saw it come through my Twitter feed. I was like, this has got to be fake. This is, there's no way. This has got to be an old video. It's got to be like a joke, like he's messing with the fans. Nope, nope, nope. This is real. The next thought I had was, who the hell does Greg Popovich think he is? Who does he think he is? I don't care how much success he's had in the NBA. I don't care how many rings he has. I don't care about any of that. I don't care about pedigree. I don't care about body of work. I, he has earned Nothing even close to that. Nothing. Nothing. He was upset because the San Antonio Spurs home fans were booing Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard obviously had a good run of success with the Spurs, won an NBA championship with them. Apparently Popovich didn't think the booing was warranted for Kawhi Leonard while he's shooting free throws he's shooting free throws that's what you do at an nba game is you shoot free throws as an opposing player and you get booed that's what happens i don't care if Kawhi leonard played 29 years on the san antonio spurs and won 29 championships and went undefeated every single year the next time he's in that building as an opposing player shooting free throws he's gonna get booed that's how professional sports works. That's how life works. Racial slurs, family members, all that stuff. Don't do it. I don't like it. I would never condone it. I don't think it's respectful. It should never be even considered inside an NBA arena. Never do it. But booing? Hey, pop, newsflash. Booing has been around. Since the Roman Empire. It's been around since the Roman Empire. And by the way, Pop, rich man who has no idea, no perspective, and thinks he can just tell people how to act and what to do at an NBA game, 
who are acting well within the constraints of what fans can and should be doing. These fans paid, oh my God, so much money, hundreds, thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars to be at that game, to pay your salary, to watch you play, watch you coach. And you have the gall, you have the audacity to grab the microphone during the game over the PA system and tell the fans to stop booing. By the way, if you watch the video and you watch the context of the game and the situation, they weren't even booing that loud. They weren't even booing that loud. And if you think that's bad, Pop, of all people, you should know how insignificant that booing and that entire situation was. Because you've played in the NBA Finals, you played against hostile environments, you played on the East Coast, Boston, Philly, New York. You think booing a player's bad? Booing a player's bad while he's shooting free throws? How about... When the guys at the baseline, the guys under the hoop, the guys that sit two rows behind the bench are yelling at the players in Boston and Philadelphia, New York about their dead parents, their dead grandparents, which I don't condone. I don't think you should. I think there's a line and I think that's probably crossing it. The point is, where was the PA microphone grab back then? Or in those situations, it's happened to Popovich before. Nope, he couldn't get away with it then. He couldn't flex. He couldn't show off. He couldn't establish his entitled mentality on those East Coast fans. But when it's in San Antonio, that's not what we do. We don't boo. Oh, you don't boo. Okay, so you're the booing police, Popovich. Okay, cool. Got it. So you've won some NBA games. You've won a couple titles. You can now tell people how to act at an NBA game. Understood. So now anytime and every time there's any fan altercation or I watch a highlight of an NBA playoff game and I hear the fans booing, I'll be sure to pick up the phone and give you a call, Pop. Make sure that that's okay. Like, who do you think you are, dude? Unbelievable. And by the way, the best part about it is these guys are professional multi-tens of millionaire athletes. They make gobs, gobs of cash to go out and deal with a little bit of adversity here and there playing in the NBA. And like I said, you can pay them as much as you want. Of course, you should never even entertain the thought of things crossing the line. As a fan, racial slurs, you know, family members, anything like that. Don't do it. Never, never should be said in an NBA arena. And I agree with anything like that. But that's not the case here. Oh, and it's not close to that. They're booing an opposing player slightly, slightly as he's shooting free throws.
it was one of the softest things I, I think I've seen in, in the history of professional sports. These are grown-ass men. Grown-ass men getting boo-boo while they're shooting free throws. And he grabs the mic. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Could you, could you imagine any other coach in any other league doing that? Could you imagine it? Could you actually imagine it with your brain? That happening in, in any... Oh, wait. No, you can't because nobody would ever do that ever in a million years ever. Especially if you consider the entire spectrum of all the context in that situation and the severity of the booing that was going on. That was the most asinine, absurd, entitled, soft display of flexing and power and lack of awareness I've ever witnessed in professional sports in, a, in all things I've ever seen. And it's unfathomable that that actually happened. Now, the, the good news for Popovich, as he clearly knows, he clearly knows this in the back of his head. The good news is it was a news piece and then it kind of got swept away. It is what it is. It's San Antonio. They're not a good team. It's a meaningless NBA game. That's why he went and did it because he knew he could get away with it. Imagine doing that in the playoffs. Imagine doing that ever. I can't imagine it. But Greg Popovich thinks he's earned that. He hasn't earned it. He's never going to be able to earn anything like that ever in a million years, ever. Completely unacceptable. Completely unacceptable. I cannot believe that that happened. Now, should I be this upset about it? Probably not. Doesn't affect me personally. I'm not a Spurs fan. I'm not a Clippers fan. I could care less about either of those teams or Greg Popovich. But the reason it pisses me off and it's so upsetting is because it, to me, it starts to set a precedent about acceptable behavior in professional sports and sports in general. And as much as people like to poke fun about this and that and Oh, you know, kids shouldn't be getting participation trophies and everything's everyone wins all the time. You know, like I get some of that, you know, and like, well, the kids got to feel, you know, it's, it, it's, it's all part of a bigger conversation. But ultimately, to some degree, it is true. And in the NBA, in what my I believe to be one of the softest leagues in all professional sports where it's just ego driven and guys demand trades, do whatever they want, act however they want sit out for load management, all the different things, and now you've got one of the most established and successful head coaches of all time in the middle of the game, grabbing the microphone and telling his fans how to act while the game's going on. It cannot be an acceptable thing. It can't, it can't, it can never happen again. It is so beyond unacceptable behavior. I don't care the pedigree. I don't care the body of work. I don't care what he's done at all. Telling your fans not to boo is the most absurd thing I've ever witnessed. Not to mention just the other parts of it that Greg Popovich has gotten away with being pretty 
Um, let's see. Not the nicest guy to the media in his entire tenure as an NBA head coach. He's pretty much gotten away with that for 20 plus years. Just kind of, just kind of being a jerk. Just kind of being standoffish. Now that part I'm actually okay with because I understand that sometimes the media can be pretty daunting, can be pretty annoying, pretty pestering. And especially when things aren't going well, it's the middle of the game. It's all this different stuff. Like you don't want to deal with that. Nope. I totally get that. But Greg Popovich, not that it's ever going to be warranted. He was acting like Kawhi Leonard won 15 straight NBA championships with the San Antonio Spurs franchise. And the only reason he left the franchise is because the Spurs organization and the general manager or whoever traded him. And then since then, all Kawhi Leonard's ever done has been nothing but complimentary about San Antonio, begging and pleading for them to come back. Oh, and Kawhi Leonard also won the MVP 15 years in a row. And then, then he came back and the Spurs fans were unloading with booze as he left, right? That would be a situation where you go, okay, the Spurs fans, you guys are out of touch. This doesn't, why would you be unloading him with booze? He's been nothing but great to, none of that. And I mean, none of that is true. And even if that was the situation, Greg Popovich going to the microphone, still not warranted. All you got to do is go up to the podium after the game as you're answering questions, which they do mm, every night. Go up and, and before you even answer any questions, as guys have done hundreds of times and go, hey, listen, before you guys start getting into the questions and I start answering them, I just wanted to say, our fans came out with a lot of passion, a lot of energy. They showed up, you know, they paid money for their tickets, all that stuff that I completely understand. But late in the second quarter, Kawhi Leonard was lining up for some free throws, a guy that's done and contributed a lot to our organization. And the fans were kind of booing him, maybe a little bit more than some other guys. And I just, I wasn't sure that that was completely warranted. So moving forward, you know, as an organization, I hope we're able to generate and, and perceive all context accordingly. and. um you know, specific guys, maybe in specific situations, easing up a little bit. But ultimately, you know, the fans pay their money. They do what they want. I just know as a fan in that situation, I don't know if I'd be booing a guy like Kawhi Leonard. The other guys, yeah, maybe sure. Who knows? Uh, but Kawhi's done a lot for our team. And, uh, you know, I, I just hope that San Antonio, we can treat him with the utmost respect because he's a big contributor to this franchise and this organization's success. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's all you got to do. That's it. Period. Done. End of story. Drop it. It's not going to make giant headlines. It's, it's going to be like, oh, Popovich criticized. And then you could, no, it's fine. And honestly, 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 the last thing I'll say about this Popovich situation, how embarrassing for those players. How embarrassing for the Spurs players and coaches. I mean, you can even see... You, you, you hear the announcers in that clip. You hear the announcers in, in thing like, well, uh, I've never seen that happen before. Yeah, well, you're right there, uh, co-host. I mean, the only time I've really ever seen it is maybe a college coach. 
Maybe a college coach doing it to their student body section. A bunch of kids that are 18 to 21 years old who don't know how to act that are hammered out of their mind in a rivalry game or whatever on a Saturday night. I've seen Coach K do it to the Duke student section. They were booing in, uh, a head coach or something, and they were, they were chirping the other team's head coach, and he was like a former assistant of Duke or I don't know. And, and he went over specifically to that section and was like, hey, cut it out. Anybody but him, right? Stuff like that. But for Pop to do that, I mean, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the uh, reaction of his, his coaches and stuff on the bench. I mean, that's the most. I'm looking at the players right now. Some of them are like, uh, what? Yikes. Go watch the video if you don't believe me. There's a guy sitting next to Wemben Yachtman. And I'm not an NBA expert, but just embarrassed. God. So just, ugh. God. Gotta set a precedent, man. Certain situations in life, you gotta put your foot down. You gotta put your foot down. You gotta overreact like I probably am with this Popovich situation. Because if you don't, and you let people just get away with it, then it's going to set a precedent. And moving forward, coaches or people involved in the organization, shit, even players might go, oh, well, Greg Popovich grabbed the microphone in the middle of the game. I think I can get away with that. Nope, 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 nope. You can't do that ever in a million years. Unless the situation is so dire, so drastic, which it just wasn't in this situation. The players on the bench for the Spurs, embarrassed. I imagine the Clippers were like, uh, that's weird. Why did he do that? They're like not even booing that loud. Also, were the Clippers were from Los Angeles, a big market city to a small market city. doesn't really matter who's going to be on the team, whether they used to play here or not. He's probably going to get booed. Popovich, joke, dude. What a joke. What a joke. Laughing stock. I mean, that's all time. That's all-time bad. All-time brutal move. Opposite of glue guy. All right, I'm done. I'm done talking about Greg Popovich, dude. I'm done. I can't. I, I'm, I, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. We'll move on. Move on to the college football spectrum. Move on to the NFL. Because Greg Popovich is all-time goof. Uh, college football, and then the NFL. Uh, good news, the regular season is over. Bad news, the regular season is over <laughs> in college football. Um, we'll go through the scoreboard. We'll go through the uh, the well rankings, if you will, from number one. All the way down, except this time this week we'll go through actually because the the way the college scoreboard is lined up here on ESPN, uh, it's chronological. So they show the Thursday Thanksgiving game and then Friday's games, which there was a bunch of Friday games, and then Saturday. So we'll go through that and then uh, discuss what the rankings are probably gonna be and what stuff's got uh, for this upcoming weekend of uh of uh conference championship games. So, on Thanksgiving, 
number 12, Ole Miss played Mississippi State, the old Egg Bowl. Ole Miss beat them 17 to 7. A little bit of a snoozer there is what it is. Um, Ole Miss finishes the regular season at 10 and 2. They're going to play in a pretty decent bowl game. Um, yeah, 10 and 2. Pretty good for Ole Miss there. 6 and 2 in the SEC. I think their two losses were literally Alabama and Georgia. So that's pretty good. Uh, that was the only top 25 team in action on Thanksgiving. On Friday, there was a bunch of top 25 teams, a uh, bunch of rivalry games in state or, you know, just close in proximity, geographically speaking, matchups, starting with uh, the Oregon matchup. I don't know the name of this rivalry. I feel like maybe I do if you said it. Anyways, Oregon played Oregon State, ended up being a top 16 matchup. Number six, Oregon. Number 16, Oregon State. Oregon beat them 31 to 7. Pretty, pretty resounding victory. Uh, they were at home. Oregon State didn't look great. It was kind of sloppy, rainy game. But Oregon ultimately looked pretty darn good. Bo Nix looked pretty darn good. Their defense looked pretty darn good. And um, yeah, we'll talk about Oregon here in a second. Uh, number seven, Texas played Texas Tech, beat them 57 to seven. Number nine, Missouri played Arkansas, beat them 48 to 14. How about Missouri, by the way? 10 and two, also in the SEC, six and two. 10 and two overall, six and two in the SEC. Number nine, they'll finish the year around that number nine number, maybe even lower. They'll get into an awesome bowl game. Uh, number 11, Penn State. Played Michigan State, beat them 42 to nothing. <laughs> okay. Number 13, Oklahoma played TCU, beat them 69-45. Number 17, Iowa <laughs> played Nebraska, beat them 13 to 10. Iowa just has the most unbelievable defense in the history of anything ever. It's hilarious. Uh, and they just don't score on offense, but they win games. They're 10 and two. They're going to be playing Michigan for the big 10 championship here on Saturday. Uh, and the last game Friday, uh, number 23 Tulane played university of Texas, San Antonio beat him 29, 16 about Tulane, 11 and one for Tulane, eight and zero in their conference. Great year for the Tulane green wave. Uh, going into Saturday, we'll go through again. We'll go through the rankings here as they have them listed for top teams that played on Saturday. Number one, Georgia played Georgia Tech, beat them 31-23. That game was a little bit closer than some people obviously imagined. Ultimately, Georgia comes away with the victory, uh, gets it done when they need to, finishes the regular season 12-0. They haven't lost a game, dude, in like four. It's They haven't lost a game in forever. Forever. 12-0. 4-0 on the road this year. They finished, uh, you know, undefeated in the SEC. Just, it's wild. They, they're really good, man. Georgia is really, really good. Number one, this week, I don't know if they'll be, we'll get into it. Uh, biggest game of the week, for obvious reasons. Number two, Ohio State at number three, Michigan. Michigan beats them 30-24. to Really close game. Uh, both teams played pretty darn well. Ultimately, Michigan comes out on top. A couple of costly turnovers for Ohio State and Caden McCord. Marvin Harrison Jr. had another monster game, uh, but Michigan wins. Michigan finishes undefeated, 12-0 in 
12 and 0 overall, 9 and 0 in the Big 10. Uh, so they played great all year. They didn't have Harbaugh for the last three games. Didn't matter. Came out on top. Now they play Iowa in the Big 10 championship. Should be a pretty decent game. I don't know the spread on that. We'll check that here shortly, but I imagine Michigan wouldn't have a problem with Iowa. You know, I'm kind of picturing like a 17 to 3 type game because <laughs> Iowa's offense is, is miserable. Uh, number four, Washington played Washington State in the rivalry game. The Apple Cup cross state rivals. Washington wins on a last second field goal. Last second field goal beats Washington State 24 to 21. Okay. They get the win. I don't know, man. I don't think Washington's that good. Said it all year. I don't think they're that good of a team. I think if they end up coming across Michigan or Georgia or anybody else in the college football playoff, I think they get roasted. Roasted. And I guess we'll see. Number five, Florida State played Florida. Little rivalry game. Beat them 24 to 15 with Tate Rodemaker. Tate Rodemaker? Yep, Tate Rodemaker. Backup quarterback for Florida State. Didn't play amazing. Didn't play bad. They got the job done. Um, Florida State advances. They win. Should find themselves here in the top four shortly. Uh, but pretty interesting. Uh, they're playing in the ACC championship. Also, Washington. Back to Washington real quick. They go 12-0, 9-0 in the Pac-12. They're playing Oregon in a rematch game from earlier in the year in the Pac-12 championship. We'll get to that in a second. Kentucky and Louisville played each other. And Louisville is number 10 team in the country, and they lose to Kentucky. How and why? I don't know. Kentucky's pretty good, but just they're not that good. So Louisville kind of fraudulent. We'll see what happens. Um, the last game, uh, there's a couple more games here for like we'll just kind of speed through these and then get to the game that that was just I wanted to touch on, but we'll go through these. Number 14 LSU played AM, beat them 42 to uh, 42 to 30. Arizona, Arizona State. Arizona was number 15 ranked team in the country. They beat them 59-23. Number 18, Notre Dame played Stanford, beat them 56-23. Iowa State played number 19, Kansas State. Kansas State loses. Iowa State wins. Pretty interesting. Number 20, Oklahoma State beats BYU 40-34 to uh, finish the year 9-3. They're playing Texas in the Big 12 Championship. Number 21, Tennessee played Vanderbilt, beat them 48-24. 22, NC State played North Carolina, beat them. Number 24, Clemson played South Carolina, beat them. Number 25, Liberty played UTEP and beat them. And the last game I didn't touch on here, but I wanted to touch on quickly is number eight, Alabama played Auburn in the Iron Bowl. As an Alabama fan, I started the video, I started this podcast rather with uh, that clip of Jalen Milrow fourth and goal from the 31 yard line down by four with 30 some odd seconds left. And they were able to pull off essentially whatever you want to call it. Last gasp, hail Mary wasn't like a full blown hail Mary, but it was a crazy play, crazy throw from Milrow. 
but even more so, just one of the most unbelievable endings to a college football game that I've ever witnessed. It's right up there with, coincidentally, the 10-year anniversary <laughs> back in 2013. Uh, it's right up there with the kick six Iron Bowl. Uh, as a young Alabama fan, that game was pretty heartbreaking for me. But ultimately, you know, things even out. And in the case of last night's game, or uh, Saturday's game, rather, Alabama beating Auburn 27-24. Alabama didn't play great. Um, their offense sputtered and struggled in the second half. They went into halftime with the lead. And Alabama, in the last month and a half, has proven that they are really strong in the second half. I wouldn't say second-half team, but there's been some games where they've showed up in the second half and just dominated. Not the case against Auburn. On the road, hostile environment for obvious reasons. They just couldn't really get a ton going on offense, combined with the fact, you know, if you go three and out on offense, they had a hard time stopping the run on defense. When that's the case, and when the opponent, the opposing running games averaging three, four, five yards a carry, and then your offense goes three and out, it seems like Auburn has the ball forever. You never get the ball. Um, if I'm checking the game, that like score here, game cast, whatever you want to call it. Um, Time of possession, I guess Alabama had the ball more. Um, but ultimately for Auburn, the, the, the deciding factor was three turnovers. Um, three turnovers in the game. Um, if you go to the box score, the box score shows the obvious story just in terms of the run game. Uh, I mentioned it already, but Auburn ran the ball effectively. They ran the ball effectively on designed runs. Jalen Milrow racked up 100 rushing yards, but most of it was on scrambles, not designed quarterback runs. Alabama had a hard time stopping the deception or like the read option stuff, the quarterback draw, that type of stuff that were all designed runs. And they were gashing Alabama for that. I mean, 240 plus rushing yards is not going to win you a lot of games if you're Alabama. And Alabama had no business winning that game. But they did. And I think the important thing to note is that ultimately they found a way to win the game. They are um, a team and, and a, a football program with Coach Saban that's led by, you know, they're, they're, they're defined by staying calm under pressure. 2021 Iron Bowl, 2023 Iron Bowl. You know, there's no panic. Um, Saban stays calm, cool, and collected. And, um, you know, is proud to tell people like, hey, we actually practiced that that last second play. I know that sounds crazy, but he's like, we, we, we were prepared to some degree for that situation. And I think that says a lot, speaks a lot. Not to mention they just didn't play well enough. And I know he knows that everyone knows that it's the same reaction you see from Saban in games and situations where he knows they shouldn't pull it off, but they do. And those situations are. 20, uh, whatever it was, 27, 16, 17, uh, or 18. It was the national championship with Tua coming in at halftime against Georgia, replacing Jalen Hurts. And then ultimately, after taking its 20, a 16 yard sack, delivering the game winning touchdown on second and 26, Saban threw his hands up in the air, lost his mind, did all this crazy, like, because he knew they got away with it right there. Same thing with this Milrow touchdown. Threw his hands up, touchdown, because he just was shocked. 
shocked that they won that game or took the lead in that situation and then won the game. And uh, good for them. Roll Tide. I'm an Alabama fan, bandwagon, but I'm a fan. Pretty diehard. And uh, now we got Georgia in the SEC Championship. Quickly, I wanted to see... Let's see. I'll look at the scoreboard for this upcoming week. I wanted to hear what Stephen A. Smith had to say about this, and we can listen into it together. It was unbelievable. I couldn't believe it when I saw it. I mean, fourth and goal at the 32. Listen, uh, uh, Milroy, tremendous pass on his part. Tremendous catch by Bond, no doubt about that. But Auburn should be disgusted yes, and ashamed absolutely. of itself. Fourth and goal on a 32, and you saw those defensive linemen going up, and it's just and being completely frustrated, and they absolutely should have been Shannon. There is no excuse for anybody in your secondary to make that kind of error. He was literally got beat yeah. in the end zone. Now, the guy out jumps you right. and just catches that, just uses athleticism. That kind of stuff can happen. But, no, he was open. Yeah. He was open. Yeah. How'd that happen? That's ridiculous. I, I just don't understand why you, why you rush two. <laughs> why you just rush two yeah. and let him have that kind of time. Yeah. yeah, that was an unbelievable throw. That, there are not a whole lot of quarterbacks that can make that throw from That's that true. gesture on the far hatch and throw it all the way across the field and drop it into that tiny window. But I don't understand what Auburn was thinking. Anything but a touchdown and you win the game. That's right. Mm -hmm. Anything but a touchdown and you win the game. And you gave up the That's one the thing that can ball. Yeah. In that state, that, that, what that game means to Auburn. Yeah. Yep. No doubt, I agree with what they're saying for sure, but hey, we practice it. They didn't. <laughs> okay. This upcoming weekend in college football, all the conference championship games. Liberty on Friday, Liberty. 12-0 Liberty. Conference USA, uh, regular season champ. They play New Mexico State. Conference USA championship game. Should be a good one. Friday night. Oregon, number six, Oregon. I think they may even move up, potentially. Maybe not. They might stay there. Number six, Oregon. Number four, it's going to be a top five matchup, I'm thinking. Yeah, top six. Washington's undefeated. Washington beat Oregon earlier in the year. It's a rematch of the week three or week four game, whatever the case is. Oregon. In a neutral site in Las Vegas, Oregon is favored by nine and a half points. The team that Oregon lost to, that they're playing against again, Washington is nine-and-a-half-point underdogs. That is crazy. I had no idea that that's the number that the computer system in, in Las Vegas would, would crank out. However, I might take Oregon. I might. I might take Oregon. Crazy spread. Just all things considered. Uh, on Saturday, it's the big, uh, you know, conference championship day, SEC championship, or sorry, I guess, Big 12 championship in the morning, Oklahoma State and Texas, SEC championship in the afternoon between Georgia and Alabama, Michigan and Iowa play 
in the evening, as well as Florida State and Louisville for the Big Ten Championship and the ACC Championship. Should be good. Should be a good time. Excited for it. Can't wait. We'll talk to you guys, I'm sure, after that at some point. It's going to be awesome. Moving on to the NFL. Last subject here to talk about. And we'll go over some of the scores, and then we'll talk about some of the storylines. So, Thanksgiving, Packers beat the Lions. It is what it is. You know, Lions losing on Thanksgiving, I think. I I don't know. Packers kind of just found a way to win that game, and they were up pretty big after the first quarter, 20 to six. It's kind of just hard for the Lions to overcome that uh, because the Packers played some pretty good defense, a little bit of ball control football, and uh, Jordan Love looked pretty darn good. I think the Packers are going to miss the playoffs, but they look good. They look better. I mean, they're five and six. It's not a good record on paper. They've had their early struggles, but Jordan Love's a younger quarterback. Just give him a little bit of time. I think he'll be pretty decent. I mean, he's got the tools for it. He's a big, sizable quarterback with a good arm arm action in the in the pocket delivered the ball on time and accurately a ton against the lions and he looked his the best game of his nfl career so far uh which is promising for packers fans lions yeah you lose it is what it is like i, I wouldn't freak out yet if i was a lions but eight and three i mean yeah and you're eight and three like you're you're gonna find yourself in the playoffs you got to shape it up a little bit um but you're eight and three it's fine uh Thanksgiving Cowboys played the commanders beat them 45 to 10 at Cowboys. Just the masters of when they're double digit favorites covering by a million and just fourth quarter, just piling on. I mean, they scored 25 points in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, kind of garbage time. If I'm being honest with you, kind of garbage time, but I mean, there's four quarters and 60 minutes in a football game. So I guess, you know, you can be critical, but that's that all counts the same. Uh, 49ers played the Seahawks on Thanksgiving night, beat them 31 to 13. Um, 49ers are back. They're right back where they, they have been. Um, they, they, you know, they're fine. I I mean, I really, I think the 49ers are going to be fine. They got everyone healthy when they have everyone healthy. They're, they're as good as anybody in the NFL, in my opinion. Uh, Black Friday, the Dolphins played the Jets. Dolphins beat the Jets 34-13. to 13. Jets started Tim Boyle. Tim Boyle over Zach Wilson. Because, oh, you know, Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson's the problem. Uh, Zach Wilson's the problem. Okay. So with Tim Boyle, then they're going to score. Oh, they didn't. Oh, okay. And then we'll get to it in a minute, but then the Broncos are playing better. Russell Wilson's taking care of the ball. Broncos are winning. This year they're winning, but last year they were. So then why would, what's that have to do with the Jets? But then, oh, Wait, didn't the Jets hire Nathan, the head coach, offensive? Guess what? There's a common denominator. When are we going to realize that it was never Russell Wilson that was the problem? When are we going to realize 
It was never Zach Wilson that was the problem. When are we going to realize Aaron Rodgers is a top four quarterback ever? And you combine all those factors into it, put it into a calculation, it spits out one answer. And that answer is Nathaniel Hackett is a bad coach. He's a bad play caller. He does not put his guys in the right situations or the right play calls to succeed consistently. And the only reason he's ever had success as a play caller or coordinator in the NFL is because the quarterback he was calling plays for was a top four quarterback ever to play the sport. Nathaniel Hackett is not a good coach. I don't know how much longer it's going to take people to realize that for the Jets fans, for Broncos fans last year, it's anything Nathaniel Hackett touches turns to shit. Anything he gets his hands on just crumbles, falls apart. Not that the Jets were incredible last year without Nathaniel Hackett, but for the Jets coaching staff organization, to abandon their top draft quarterback pick that they took early in round one because he's the issue. What I've seen him this year putting his life on the line, getting drilled, absolutely smoked in the pocket, delivering some pretty cool throws. By the way, beating some pretty respectable teams too. Buffalo, um, I think they beat the Eagle, right? Did they beat the Eagles? I mean, any quarterback that's been behind under center and beaten the Bills and the Eagles in 2023, I know the Bills aren't this juggernaut maybe as they were in a couple years past, still a pretty good team. Eagles have one loss, and it's to the Jets, and Zach Wilson was playing quarterback. When are we going to recognize, when are we going to realize Russell Wilson wasn't the problem. Zach Wilson, not the problem. Nathaniel Hackett is the only problem that's the common denominator in everything he's touching turning to shit. He showed up last year with Denver as a head coach, had no idea what he was doing, horrendous play call, horrible personnel in specific situations. Broncos stunk. This year, I know the Jets aren't much different from last year. They did get some improved talent. I know they were anticipating Aaron Rodgers being around. But the only reason Hackett's ever been worth a shit is because Aaron Rodgers played quarterback while he was the offensive coordinator in Green Bay. That's it. It's the only reason. Honestly, that's like the only reason. It, it sucks because I actually think Zach Wilson is decent. I think he's pretty good. I don't think he's a superstar, but I think he's pretty good. Definitely better than Tim Boyle. So for the Jets to just abandon their high first round pick in Zach Wilson and start Tim Boyle, Tim Boyle, that is a historically bad move by the Jets. How about you take a step back? Look at two pretty darn good undersized quarterbacks that have played way below their capabilities in the last two years. Russell Wilson, Zach Wilson, unrelated 
family-wise, even though they have the same last name, but related in terms of they both got touched by Nathaniel Hackett and were garbage cans. Not to mention the Jets' offensive line is terrible. Uh, Zach Wilson gets no help. His receivers drop balls all the time. Like, it's just not Zach Wilson's fault. I don't think he's a superstar, but it's just not his fault. Blame Nathaniel Hackett. On that topic, man, moving on in the NFL, the Steelers beat the Bengals 16-10. to Okay? First game for the Steelers after firing Matt Canada, their offensive coordinator who had been there for forever. Steelers put up 400 total yards, 400 plus total yards of offense. Do I think the Steelers are a 400 total yards of offense type of offense week in and week out with or without Matt Canada? No, I don't. Do I think them putting up 400 yards of total offense would have been expected without him? No, but that is another situation where distinctly and definitively the play caller on offense was holding them back and was the main reason why that team was lacking success. Because as soon as he bounced out of there, Pickett throws for 270. Najee Harris runs for 100 yards. Their tight ends got 120. Like as soon as he leaves, the moment he leaves, somebody else is drawing up and designing plays. They have success instantly. That's not a coincidence. Clearly and definitively, Matt Canada is and was the problem in Pittsburgh. Clearly and definitively, Nathaniel Hackett is and was the problem in New York and Denver. Uh, Titans beat the Panthers 17 to 10. Don't care. Colts beat the Bucks 27 20. I mean, Colts are six and five, but don't care. Giants beat the Pats 10 to seven. Don't care. Uh, Jags beat the Texans 24 to 21. Very simple explanation and situation there in the case of that game coming out close, but ultimately the Jags prevail. A little more experience, a little bit more veteran. Uh, coach, quarterback, weapons, reliable, you know, Jags just edged them out a little bit, but Texans are still really good. Texans are six and five. Uh, the thing with CJ Shroud, too, and Bryce Young, it's obvious and as clear as day. And people, for some reason, just decide, oh, this guy's not good for 10 games to start his career with a historically bad offensive line, historically bad roster in Carolina, horrendous head coach and play caller. And you're playing quarterback as a kind of an undersized guy, but a number one overall pick. They thought you were good enough to go first overall and trade up for you. Nope. Guy stinks. How, how can you say that definitively? Well, he, I don't know. I mean, just look at CJ Stroud. He went right after him and he's had. Yeah, because he's lo they're loaded with weapons in Texas. Newsflash, just a bunch of undersized and no name guys, not undersized, no name, quote unquote, guys, but incredibly talented that are being utilized properly with their skill sets.
really talented and fast wide receivers, right? Nico Collins, Tank Dell. They got a two-headed monster in the backfield with Singletary and uh, who's the other back? Singletary, who just has been just rushing all over the place. Oh, and Damian Pierce. Like two guys that were like NFL starting caliber running backs. Nico Collins, Singletary, Tank Dell, veteran leader Robert Woods. Like, come on, man. Pretty good. And then, yeah, CJ Stroud profile-wise, physical-wise, he's tall, he's athletic, he's got a monster arm. He's a great quarterback. For some reason, CJ Stroud went number two, and Bryce Young went number one, and most people put that and project that on, well, when the testing situation went down, when these guys were forced to, you know, go through the mental aspect of the NFL combine, CJ Stroud's testing and his numbers didn't come out as high as Bryce Young's. I think Bryce Young and CJ Stroud are just as good as each other. I think CJ Stroud is in a better situation, infinitely better situation right away. Bryce Young has been getting absolutely screwed by the Panthers since he's been in the NFL. But I also think CJ Stroud not testing out as good as Bryce Young in some cases. That might be better than people actually think it is. CJ Stroud, Bryce Young. Talent-wise, it was a toss-up. CJ Stroud's bigger, taller quarterback. I mean, he's really talented, but Bryce Young won the Heisman. Bryce Young put up crazy numbers in the SEC. It's like, oh, I don't know, they're a toss-up. Well, the testing comes back, and CJ Stroud didn't test out as good as Bryce Young. Bryce Young's a really, really smart kid, clearly. Well put together, knows what he's doing, has been just screwed in Carolina. That's beside the point. But TJ Stroud didn't test out well. Uh, guess what? In sports, sometimes it's good to not test out as well. That means he doesn't overthink anything. He relies on instincts and physical ability. And clearly, he's smart enough and good enough to put up crazy numbers at a gigantic Big Ten school in Ohio State, play really well, and still go number two overall. And then you watch his playmaking ability. His ability to scramble, throw on the run. He's relying on his physical talent and not thinking so much. And a lot of times in sports, that might be the best way to do it. That's why I think CJ Stroud is having so much early success because he's not pressed so hard. He's like, man, I'm a big boy. I'm big, fast, and strong. Have a monster arm. I'm going to scramble out of this pocket. I'm going to throw a ball across my body, and I'm going to throw it accurately. Rocket. I think C.J. Stroud is good. I think Bryce Young is just as good. Bryce Young's been in a terrible situation. People won't talk about that enough. The terrible situations are what I think defines. Like, situationally, quarterbacks aren't going to have success uh, if the play calling and coaching is just horrendous. Rams beat the Cardinals 37-14. Don't care. Chiefs beat the Raiders 31-17. Not much there. Uh, Broncos beat the Browns 29-12. Broncos are 6-5. and five. 
They have a five-game winning streak. Russell Wilson is playing really solid football. This year, he is... Let's see. He's got 20 passing touchdowns. He's got four interceptions. He's taking care of the ball. Yeah, you know what? His quarterback rating is 54, but that's not much out of the realm of um, where he's been in years past. He has 103.4 uh, passer rating. Quarterback rating and passer rating, two different things. Not going to explain it, but look it up. But he had an 89.2 quarterback rating and a 91 passer rating against the Cleveland Browns, who have a great defense. And I still think there's a lot of holes to fix uh, with the Denver Broncos. The run defense is still pretty spotty. Their offensive consistency is still a little bit spotty. But the Broncos are showing everybody pretty simple formula to win football games in the NFL. Take care of the ball. Don't turn it over. Force turnovers on defense. Just win the turnover margin in most games. Win the turnover margin. If it's two or three to nothing every game in terms of force turnovers versus turn times turned over on offense, two, zero, three, zero, four, zero, you're going to win. You're going to win. Cause then you turn the ball over and just run it, get a couple first downs, clock management. Maybe you score here and there that, I mean, it's definitely a possession. The, uh, the opponent's not scoring in, turn the ball over. Don't turn it over yourself on offense. Take care of the rock, run the ball effectively. Move the pocket with your quarterback if your offensive line isn't great. And let Russ cook. Throw the ball up to your big-time receiver. Check it down when you need to. Don't force any bad throws. Get the ball out quickly against a good defense. Run a read option. Change out personnel against specific matchups and specific opponents. Russ with the Broncos. And Sean Payton this year with the Broncos is the perfect example of why and how you have to just give things a little bit of time to develop. You have to give things just a little bit of time. And obviously, it's the media's job to just jump on and write crazy headlines and stuff. The stuff from the early parts of this year, Russ is done. Russ is completely washed. His contract is the worst in the history of the NFL. Sean Payton is completely washed. How, like, how can you say that? Sean Payton beat Peyton Manning in a Super Bowl. You don't luck into that. I don't care if you have Drew Brees. I don't care whatever. You don't beat Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl, and you just get lucky. That doesn't happen. I don't think Sean Payton's the greatest NFL coach of all time, but he's pretty darn good. He's really good at making midseason adjustments. Uh, clearly. Clearly. Give things time to develop. You could say it about Bryce Young in Carolina. You could say it about Sam Howell in Washington. You could say it about a lot of different head coaches, right? You could say it about Trevor Lawrence. 
Sandoval, so many different things. Those are young guys, those are young quarterbacks, but just new teams, new situations. The defense at the beginning part of the year for the Denver Broncos was not in the right position to succeed metaphorically, but also literally on the field, the coverage schemes they were running, the personnel that they had, they had to change their identity as a whole. Pat Sertan top the top corner in the league, potentially put him on an Island. Every play doesn't matter. He's going to shut down Devonte Adams. He's going to shut down. Kelsey's going to shut these guys down, shut down Stefan Diggs. Okay, he's not a problem. Put the linebackers in the right spot, put the other DBs in the right spot, bring pressures, bring unique looks on defense, on offense, run some read options, move the pocket for Russell Wilson, throw the ball up to Cortland Sutton when he's in one on one coverage. My God. Utilize multiple running backs out of the backfield. Don't turn the ball over, force turnovers. Guess what? Win, 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 win. They keep that up. If they follow the formula that they've followed in the last five games, they are a serious threat to roll through the playoffs with wins in low scoring 23 to 10 games, 17 to 14 games. And guess what? Those wins count just as much as the other ones where a team scores 40 points. Wins are wins. Broncos are finding ways. That's the sign, I think, of a pretty good team. Now the Broncos are all of a sudden looking at a playoff spot when they were 1-5. and five. All the credit in the world to Russell Wilson and Sean Payton and Vance Joseph, defensive coordinator. Seriously, all the credit in the world. Uh, last two games here before the Monday night game tonight. So Bills and Eagles played in overtime. Bills, well, let's say this. Eagles beat the Bills 37-34. Perfect example. Those two teams are exact opposites of each other in terms of the inevitable fate. And that inevitable fate is the Eagles with Jalen Hurts at quarterback, with the personnel they have on the field, the coaching staff, the fan base, all things considered, the Eagles find any and every way to win football games. Any, any. Anyway, they will find a way to win. They did not look anywhere near as good as a their potential or honestly b the Buffalo Bills against them. Time and possession bills advantage who turned the ball over more. Or I'll put it like this. Who had more total yards? Buffalo. Who had more first downs? Buffalo. Who forced more turnovers on defense? Buffalo. Who had better time possession? Buffalo. Which quarterback had more passing yards? Josh Allen. Who had more rushing yards? Oh, Philadelphia. But... The Buffalo Bills did everything pretty much better than the Philadelphia Eagles in all aspects of that game, and the Eagles still won the game. 
Why? Because they find a way. You can't quantify. You can't. It, it is impossible, honestly, to quantify numbers wise the factor of finding ways to win. Jalen Hurts, for lack of a better definition, without being able to honestly quantify it, he is a bona fide winner. Winner. He doesn't accept losing. When he loses, the first thing he says is like, it's unacceptable, it can't happen. The good news about losing is you can take tons of lessons away and you got to learn from it. Losing is learning. But then when they win, he's never satisfied and he gets criticized for it. People are like, he's Jalen Hurts is never happy. Uh, that's how you would want anybody to be. That's a champion. Ask Tom Brady, ask Bill Belichick, ask Nick Saban, ask anybody, Michael Jordan, where they just, Oh, Michael Jordan won his, uh, Michael Jordan went to the NBA finals once and he was like, yeah, I'm good. Well, like, what are you? Jalen Hurts wants to win a Super Bowl. And yeah, winning a regular season game is fun. Winning and doing whatever is always fun. He wants it. He, he enjoys it, I'm sure. But he finds a way, man. He always finds a way. The Eagles are the same that they've been in the last two or three years. Jalen Hurts is like 30-4 and four in his NFL career as a starter? Dude, that's insane. That is insane. If anybody else was 30 and four in their first 34 NFL starts as a quarterback, you'd be like, oh my God, this guy is Tom Brady times five. If Trevor Lawrence was 30 and four in his first 34 starts, are you kidding me? If Tua was 30 and four in his first 34, Nope, none of those guys are. You know who is? Jalen Hurts. He's a bona fide winner. Winner mentality, winner approach. Solidifies himself, I believe, as a top three, top four quarterback in the league. Statistically, probably not. But guess what? Stats don't win games. They contribute, they help. But statistically, Jalen Hurts, no, he's not a top three, top four quarterback but he wins. He finds ways to win football games. On the flip side, man, on the flip side, Josh Allen, it's time to start talking about Josh Allen as a middle-tier quarterback. He's he's, he's a mid-tier quarterback. He's not bad. He's still in that upper, that top 10 discussion. For sure, top 10. But people going into this year or in years past, putting him like top three above Mahomes in some cases. It's not. It, it, he's not there for me. I mean, you can't you can't be and six in your career in overtime games, including the playoffs. And be a top three quarterback. You just you can't you can't you can't be that. And every time you've played against quarterbacks that are in that same top three discussion, you don't, you don't beat them and you don't, you don't beat Joe Burrow. You don't beat Jalen hurts. You don't beat Patrick Mahomes. Start to talk about Josh Allen as maybe number six, seven quarterback. 
I mean, you mix in the fact that the guy turns the ball over more than anybody, turns the ball over in the red zone more than anybody. I know his numbers are crazy, man. I know he's a physical specimen, but numbers and being a physical specimen doesn't play in the NFL if you're 6-6 six and six and you're 0-6 in overtime games. I love Josh Allen. I love him. I think he plays his tail off every single day. He's run into a lot of misfortune, a lot of unfortunate situations. The Bills have been riddled with injuries, especially on the defensive side of the ball this year. Put Josh Allen in a tough spot. But you know what else puts Josh Allen in a tough spot? Leading the league in turnovers. Throwing picks in the red zone. Football's a complimentary sport. A lot of things can happen. It's not just on the quarterback. But Josh Allen, man, it's hard for me to put him in the top five right now. It's really hard. I, I can't. The Bills are completely dead, and, and Josh Allen's obviously got a long, illustrious career ahead of him. He's going to do great things. MVP potential at his ceiling, but at his floor, he's, he's, he's Jordan Love. It's not a dig. I love Josh Allen, but at this point, man, it's it take that game and performance against Kansas City in the postseason out of Josh Allen's uh body of work there he is not getting top five play a top five quarterback consideration he's just not take that game out of it which he played his tail off did amazing deserved to win but ultimately didn't I get it take that game out of his repertoire he's not a top five QB he's not I'm sorry he's not uh, that is the NFL scoreboard. Oh no. The last game was, uh, Ravens and chargers Sunday night football. Ravens beat the chargers 20 to 10. Don't care. Uh, chargers are a joke. Ravens are good on defense. Good enough on offense. Nine and three. Pretty darn good, man. Pretty darn, pretty darn good. And I think they still got a bye week coming up. So we'll see. And then, yeah, Monday night game tonight is uh bears at vikings uh i mean i don't i don't know i yeah i whatever i don't really want to watch but is what it is guys is what it is so that'll do it for episode 74 a lot of discussion points lots to talk about um yeah lots to discuss lots to talk about um we covered it all hopefully you guys enjoyed episode 74 i certainly did and uh yeah we'll be back either later this week or next week maybe a little bit of we know baseball podcast coming out later this week with some baseball news um managerial hires things like that free agencies kind of starting to heat up a little bit we'll get into all of it if we do the we know baseball show but for we know ball episode 74 i hope you guys enjoyed it be sure to check us out on social media instagram tiktok at we know ball sports my handle on twitter is at Ryan knows ball. If you're listening on Apple podcasts or Spotify, greatly appreciate it. Be sure to check us out on YouTube. We know ball. All our clips are on there. Reaction videos are on there. Few and far between everything you want to see, not few and far between everything you want to see is there. And um, yeah, either way, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. And otherwise we'll catch you guys next time. Peace out.